Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, IronRadio.org listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Rob Fortress Fortney here. I'm a former competitive bodybuilder, powerlifter, strength enthusiast, and uh, all-around champ. <laughs> okay. And with us today, we have Julia Leduski. Julia, can you just quickly introduce yourself? Sure. I'm glad to be here. I am a former Division One strength coach. Uh, program director of a sports performance facility and currently uh, online training and nutrition coach, apparel company business owner, and uh, powerlifter and physique competitor. Wow, so you're wearing multiple hats there. I'm trying. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of Phil a bit. You know, Phil's always like, I'm, I run this website and I started this organization, and you know, but I guess that's um, that's how you do it. Different lines in the water, you know. That's right. You bet. Uh, we just have a little bit of news today, everybody, and then we're going to get right into um, Julia's story. Strength and Muscle Sport News. I just wanted to share this because my son actually mentioned seeing this, and then some colleagues at work were talking about it. So uh, this is May twenty second, 2014. Does gluten have any effect on non-celiacs? So if you're not familiar, people with celiac disease, are they have a sort of an autoimmune response to a particular protein in gluten called gliadin, and they have terrible digestive tract problems with that. So, But this is a non-celiacs, because, of course, people are very confused. I've, I've sent out little tweets about this before and everything else that, you know, you can literally find bags in the grocery store right next to each other. One is gluten powder, and the other is gluten-free grain. So I think when people look at this stuff, they just get confused all to hell, right, because wait, is that good or bad? You want me to pay premium price for gluten or gluten-free? So this uh, individual, this is from, let's see, marksdailyapple.com. So it's just sort of a little blog, but he's pointing to a few studies. So what I'll do is I'll go to some of these more lay articles, and then I'll go see what's up with them. But he does seem to be making a point, but let me just set the stage says the headlines are everywhere gluten sensitivity does not actually exist uh and he goes on about this and it says um stories recent stories do point to a new study from a group of researchers who previously found that removing wheat from the diet improved symptoms in people with irritable bowel syndrome it says in the new paper researchers tested whether isolated gluten rather than wheat itself Right, so just a portion of the wheat, just the gluten, uh, worsened the irritable bowel symptoms. It did not. So uh, there's some suggestion here that maybe it's something else about wheat and not just the gluten that gets so much heat. Um, he goes on in this little uh, blog bit to talk about how gluten has been linked to everything from fibromyalgia to autism, even schizophrenia and depression. And the evidence for some of these things, I can tell you, is a little soft. Uh, I don't like when people cherry pick the literature to try to prove a point. You know, the whole idea is to be fair. Um, but there are some interesting points in this blog. 
I went to the actual paper, and even though this is circulating a lot now as news, uh, most of what it looks like he was originally pointing to is a 2013 paper from Gastroenterology um, from – oh, boy, look at this guy's name – B. Sikirsky and colleagues. Anyway, August 2013, Gastroenterology. It says patients with non-celiac gluten sensitivity do not have celiac disease, but their symptoms improve when they're put on gluten-free diets. So what they did was they took 37 subjects, mostly women, but they were uh, 24 to 61 years old. Um, and after a period of controlling for uh, certain aspects of the diet, they put them either on a high-gluten diet, 16 grams a day of gluten, a low-gluten diet, and they made up the difference in protein because gluten is a protein. Uh, they made up the difference with 14 grams a whey, or they put people on a control group with just 16 grams per whey a day. Uh, and they had a washout period in between and whatnot. It says gluten-specific effects were observed in only 8% of the participants. And that's more or less on par with what I've come to understand from school, is that it's single-digit percentage of people that have gluten problems. Uh, it says conclusions in a placebo-controlled crossover re-challenge study, we found no evidence of specific or dose-dependent effects of gluten um, in patients with non-celiac gluten sensitivity, again, when they manipulate other parts of the diet. So they're trying to tease apart how much of this is gluten versus just wheat. I personally think wheat gets so much heat that people just overdo it. I mean, I made a post or a tweet or something last year. I still remember uh, I was talking about throwing in beans and uh, with your pasta, making pasta visual and adding lean meats and all this stuff to up the fiber and the protein. And one of the, the guys, he might be a listener, his comment said something about, yeah, but you, that's GMO wheat and that's got gluten in it and it's got this and it's got that. And I don't know. I think we we love to demonize individual things, try to blame individual things in the diet. I mean, on some level, you, if you live in the United States, you have to eat – uh, along certain lines at least you don't have to necessarily eat the way everybody eats but you know when you can't literally have your pasta rob i know you you eat your pasta you know what i mean you're not fretting over some minutiae so no, I anyway eat loads of pasta actually anyway so that's i hear a lot of news about wheat belly you know that book um in low wheat diets and i think there's some truth to it for some people but anyway so it's it's back in the news i thought i would share just a bit Anyhow, all right, so thank you for that um, pardon for a, a couple of minutes. Julia, let's let's talk about you. Let's talk about your origin story in particular. How did you get started in the Iron Game? Because you're quite accomplished in this. Um, believe it or not, I got started when I was about 15. Um, so we're looking at 18 years ago. Um, I was an athlete in high school, and it started out as a – PE course in high school. I needed a one credit PE course and um, took a weight training class with my best friend and turned out that I, I ended up really loving it. I, I liked that I could see myself getting stronger. I, it was, you know, it was good motivation. I could see how it was affecting my, uh, my athletic performance. I kind of liked being stronger than some of the guys in there as well. Um, and from there, that's really when it started. I kept with it throughout high school. Um, when I got to college and track in college for a year, 
you know, we, we did a little bit of weight training and um, after I stopped running track in college, just really started to get a little more focused on it. Um, you know, did what most people do and, you know, pick up the muscle magazines and did a little bit more aesthetic based training. Uh, my husband, who I was dating at the time, uh, was, you know, lifting. He was done playing football as well. So we would train together and he started to look into powerlifting. And from there, we decided to find a local meet to go watch and see what it was all about. And that was in, gosh, 1999. So, um, and ever since then, I've been hooked. Uh, it's been just a constant motivation to that there's like there's no end there's always something to improve on you're always getting better you can always get stronger you can always try to you know perform a new feat it's 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 constant it's it's motivating and um that's what i've been doing ever since so cool all right so you mentioned physique a little bit um still any taste for that or have you gone pure strength um, believe it or not, I'm actually three weeks out from another show. So, um, I did, uh, dabbled in, uh, f figure and physique last year. Um, despite what I sometimes let on, I, I secretly enjoy the challenge. Um, it's definitely a different ball game. You know, people ask me all the time, which one do I like more powerlifting or bodybuilding? And, um, they're just different. There's different there's a different mindset. There's a different challenges involved. Um, so what I decided to do after I did powerlifting meet in March, um, decided to get right uh, back on the uh, aesthetics, dieting, prepping bandwagon. And uh, I'm three weeks out from another show. So uh, after three weeks, uh, we'll see. I'll probably get back into the strength game and, and try to do another powerlifting meet in the fall. That's awesome. That's one of the things, I don't know if you're familiar, but we try to champion that. You know, Rob has a bodybuilding and powerlifting background. Uh, I've never done powerlifting. I always considered myself not so much built for it. I know Frank Zane used to say that, but, and maybe that's an excuse, I don't know, but being in my mid- Sure is. <laughs> my joints don't have it, Rob. I, you, you're, I always say Rob's built like a refrigerator, you know, but I don't know. I don't have that kind of a some people sexy, are better built report. for it than others, so it's definitely just like bodybuilding. Some people have a better structure for it. Well, is it and now? I don't know. There are people who who do both, and I'm a huge believer in both. I don't like the all show and no go kind of approach that some bodybuilders will take. You know what I mean? But right. Don't you think? And I don't want to go on a tangent too much, but don't you think that some of the things that make good bodybuilders, like small joints and big muscle bellies, they may not be the best thing for a powerlifter. Or do you think that it doesn't really matter? You know, it's one of those, I, I, I think, um, I think if you look at the history of bodybuilders and powerlifters, I think you'll find that there's probably a connection in there, that there are certain structures that are built for each sport. Um, you know, just like when we look at, like you said, when we look at bodybuilders and we want to see small joints and, and big muscles, that's what gives them their shape. Um, does it mean that they'll be a poor power lifter? Not necessarily. Um, I've seen a lot of power lifters who are not built for it or, um, you know, have long arms and end up being pretty good bench pressers. Will they ever be the best in the world? Uh, you know, I, that's something to be argued. Um, but I don't think that should ever shy somebody away. Like you said earlier, I don't think it should be an excuse to say, well, I can't do that or I'm not going to, um, 
I don't, I mean, at this point in my, in the stage of the game of bodybuilding that I'm in, um, I don't think I'm, you know, nearly where I could be, you know, highly competitive. Uh, but you know, that doesn't necessarily stop me from, uh, you know, continuing to try. So. Sure. Yeah. Now, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? I'm 33. Okay. So you're, you feel like you're peaking in the next five years? You know, I've had some people tell me that and I, I would have said if if you would have asked me this a few years ago, I probably would have said I'm on the downhill. I'm on the downslope after um, my kids are five and seven now. So you know, after having kids, it's kind of hard to come back from it. Um, there's a lot of moms out there that are doing it, but you know how it is with life and kids and work and busy. Um, but I actually feel like I'm. I don't know if I'm peaking now, but I feel really good. Um, I used to be really scared of turning 30. When I turned 30, I had this big thing about, oh, no, I'm not in my 20s anymore. Um, but my 30s are actually turning out to be um, really awesome. And uh, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's peaking, if it's uh, just where I'm at, you know, in all aspects of my life. But I can really say that I'm I'm hitting... Um, aesthetics-wise, uh, strength-wise, performance-wise, I'm hitting some things that I never thought I could do. So, Yeah, I think that's where – I don't know. People may uh, disagree with this, but to me, I think a lot of bodybuilders peak in their 30s, maybe around 40-ish. Um, at some point, ultimately, we talked about this, that skin quality and other things sort of bite you in the butt eventually, whereas some of the powerlifters I've seen are peaking nearer to – at age 50 even. You know, right. I suppose it depends on how much mileage you've got on your physique, and it's not just age but mileage, right? So. Right, and how well you can take care of your body at that point. Well, that's for sure, yeah. Uh, one more thing before we go to break. What are some of your uh, accomplishments? So as people listen to Julia Leduski and they know that you're a coach and involved in all these sort of businesses and aspects of fitness um, – what are some of your proudest moments, I guess, in the gym or on the stage? That, you know, that's that's pretty tough because, um, you know, like you said, I've, when you've been in the game for quite some time, um, it's uh, it's hard to pinpoint exactly. Um, I I guess back in you know back in the day with powerlifting, I um, you know hit some pretty good numbers for myself. I squatted 465 and deadlifted 424, which are um, you know, big numbers for me at 132 weight class. Um, I, you know, once APF senior nationals two years in a row at one point in 2006, I think I was ranked number one in 132 class. So those are all, you know, it, it's nice to open up, you know, power, you know, powerlifting USA magazine and see your name ranked as number one. Um, those kind of things are, are exciting. Um, I, it's hard to say I've come back from, I competed a year after having kids. I've, you know, Stepped on a stage in high heels and a bikini um, at the age of 32, so uh, it's it's tough to pinpoint exactly. And I think the important thing is, is you know, I can sit here and talk about kind of all these really cool moments, um, you know, who I've competed with, and stuff, but I think it's a, it's a conglomeration of those moments. But what happens along the way? I re also remember doing my first pull up in college. I remember the first time I benched 135 in college. So those things are, you know, nothing to be, 
you know, uh, laughed at, even though they happened a long time ago. They're, they're still really important milestones in my life. So um, that's what's kind of cool is it's the, it's, the, it's the continuous journey that doesn't seem to ever end. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one of the things I always liked about strength, or if you want to call them muscle sports, because I don't necessarily want to call bodybuilding a pure strength sport, but you know what I mean, uh, is that you can do them as a grown-up. You know, you can keep doing them after college. You know, you can do them in your 30s, your 40s, 50s. You know what I mean? It's like you said, there's always something that you can continue to grow, change. Exactly. A lot of people, I think. All right. Well, we're going to go to break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about loss of motivation. Uh, again, based loosely on some Facebook comments that Julie made a little while ago, but I thought they were really good, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Hi, this is Dr. Lowry with an update on the protein book that you hear about in the ad at the end of the show. If you simply Google CRC Press and Protein, uh, there's a new development. On the right side of the page, you can see ebook, and there's a purchase slash rent option. And the cool thing here is if you check that out now, because they have an agreement with Vital Book, uh, you can actually download the ebook for $69 US dollars. So that's 31% off the $99.95 uh, cover price. So that's pretty fantastic. $69, I think that's going to drop it into the affordable range for a lot of people, and you can even rent it. Uh, lower down the page, they have 180-day rentals and one-year rentals, so you can access the book in electronic format and get some of this juicy information. So, thanks. Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, We'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook – uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website, and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media, and vote for us and uh, keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. <laughs> Fix of Iron Radio. In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once per week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. <laughs> Okay, everybody, we're back. It's Lonnie and Rob, and we're with Julia, Julia Leduski, and we're going to tackle today's topic now, which is uh, motivation. Uh, again, I had saw a, a Facebook post. Well, let me back up. I met Julia uh, in Akron, oh gosh, maybe two, three months ago, I can't remember now, and she was one of the uh, 
featured speakers at a strength conditioning workshop there. And then later, uh, I thought, well, you know, she'd be a good guest for the show. And then when I saw the post on Facebook, I thought this is a really good idea because everybody faces loss of motivation. And Julia had some good observations with that. So maybe we'll do a, a countdown. I don't know if you want to do them in a specific order or not, Julia, but uh, what was one of the things that you were pointing out that could be behind a loss of motivation? Uh, well, the first one I wrote, which if you think about it, it can actually be because of some of the others, um, but uh, boredom. I've had a lot of people who contact me for coaching or just in, you know, you can see it in their Facebook post that they're just bored of what they're doing. They go to the gym and they're, they've been doing the same program or whatever it is that, you know, they've been taking exercise classes, whatever it is that they're doing, they're just bored with it. Um, and, uh, you know, I've, I had, I think there was one person that commented that, uh, um, I'm trying to see if I can find it. I think it was actually one of the very first comments, and he said, uh, boredom. Powerlifting training is just boring. <laughs> so uh, to some people, you know, might they might get bored with, you know, just heavy strength training all the time where there's no aesthetic base or there's no conditioning work or there's no metabolic work. Um, so that's the first one. Okay. Rob, do you have any thoughts on that, on boredom? As some bodybuilding is there less variety for you now, or do you not feel that way? I can honestly say I absolutely don't find bodybuilding or powerlifting training boring and never have. So that's right. not something I've ever been able to um, relate to when I've heard people say that. And certainly I have heard many people say that. Um, but yeah, I don't, uh, I don't relate. I don't get it. Because um, <laughs> much like you were saying, Julia, in the beginning of the show, as far as there's always new, you know, new roads to travel and new feats to perform and new, um, you know, goals to obtain. I uh, I, I don't get that. Um, I, I suppose some people need a lot more variety in their life, which is why I suppose you get a lot of weekend warrior type athletes, you know. Well, I wonder if maybe this. they're bored, you know, if somebody's training for strength, say they're trying to bench 405, uh, you know, and they're stuck at 365, and then, they, you know, they say, well, it's just, it's it's boring. You know, it could be maybe because they're just stuck, um, they're stalled. You know, I know some people who just, who have maybe are a little more geared towards the bodybuilding side of things, they just, uh, they want... Uh, they want more volume. They want more pump work. They want, you know, various, you know, other types of qualities and characteristics in training where, you know, most bodybuilders go in, they do their one rep max stuff and, and, and hit the road. So, yeah, I don't know. Well, even different movements, you know, like for me, when I hear like in exercise phys, you know, in academic settings, and Julie, I know you're aware of this too, it's, you know, you work with a lot of sort of endurance kinds of people. And when they talk about weight training being boring, I'm like, you get on the road and you do a repetitive <laughs> hour. What what are you talking about? You know. T- so for me, it's always been like, oh well, if I don't feel like barbell benching, I'll do dumbbell presses or exactly. I'll do dips or you know, and I can mix it up a lot. And not having trained for a powerlifting meet, uh, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would think a lot of the the fun if you're not going to do quite as many different movements actual different exercises as the bodybuilding crowd 
is it just the new like working on the weakness? Uh, maybe like you were saying, if you've got you know weak triceps and you're having a hard time locking out, is it that kind of thing that keeps you interested? Is it just the progression model? What keeps you interested? It's the big three lifts, right? I mean, you're just you're all. Phil says, "Listen, that's what we do. We bench, we squat, and we deadlift. So there's going to be mostly that going on, right?" I would agree. I mean, I, I think there's a little bit of both, but I mean, in the end, yes. If I'm if I have a weakness and I'm stuck and I can't lock out a bench or I'm having trouble, you know, pull, get my deadlift off the floor, um, that's the challenge at that point in time. Is how do I fix that? So a good coach, um, a good athlete, a good you know, strength athlete is going to sit there and, and, and figure it out. To, that's the puzzle. That's the, you know, the puzzle we're trying to solve. Um, and so, you know, my husband and I will sit there and, you know, when one of us is stuck in a lift, we go, okay, what do we do? What kind of exercises can we add in? What can we change? How can we manipulate things? Um, so for us, it's, it's a, that's, that's kind of exciting and challenging is to be able to figure out that piece of the puzzle because then as you see that piece start to improve, then you're like, all right, that's it. Boom, I got it. And then you can, you know, modify and, and uh, manipulate the rest of your program accordingly. Um, sometimes it's, I mean, obviously it boils down to the big three. Sometimes, yeah, it's smaller movements. Um, you know, you might be working on pull-ups. You might be working on, you know, another assistance exercise. But in the end, yeah, you want to improve your big lifts. And going back to variety, Lonnie, is, you know, our training that I've done for years with powerlifting is, we very we are very rarely doing the same thing from week to week. So when you talk about variety, um, you know we're always mixing it up. We're always doing something different. And you're doing that for powerlifting reasons, not just for your physique reasons, right? Uh, correct. I mean a little bit of both. So powerlifting, as far as strength work goes, I mean we're we're definitely uh, um, you know working towards um, you know we a lot of our max effort and main movements are are mixed up every week. And, um, you know, so one, one week might be a, a deficit deadlift. One week might be a block pull. One might be a deadlift with chains. Um, you know, and those are the, those are the lifts that we use to improve our deadlift. Um, so, I mean, and then obviously our accessory work is mixed up for either strength reasons or aesthetic reasons if we need to bring up some weak muscular points as well. Okay, so that makes sense to me. I mean, just like a bodybuilder might work on a weak a weakness, maybe it's a body part, maybe it's just a weakness, not enough muscle mass or conditioning or whatever it is. I suppose powerlifters have a lot of things that they can focus on too to correct weaknesses. Hence the constantly growing comment. Right. You know. Right. Um, okay, what else you got? Uh, the next point was lack of clear goals, and um. I think this is something I see when a lot of women contact me about, you know, they need help with their training or nutrition or something. And I say, okay, well, what is it you want to do? And they say, well, popular one is, you know, I, I just want to lose 20 pounds or I just, I want to lose weight or I just want to get stronger. Okay, well, what? You know, having clear goals is really important. I can get you stronger in a whole lot of things. Um, so I, I like to have people try to really pinpoint if, if somebody is training for a kettlebell certification or a powerlifting meet or maybe they want to do 10 pull-ups in a row. So they having clear goals is really important. And, you know, a lot of people don't have specific goals. Um, even saying, I just want to get bigger. I just want to put on more mass. Okay, well, we need to quantify that somehow. Um, if you're 200 pounds now and you want to put on 
10 pounds of mass in six months or whatever your goal is, I think that's, I think that's really important and, and a lot of people miss out on that. So if you don't have a clear goal, it's pretty hard to set up a program that's going to get you there. Okay. Rob, any thoughts? You know, I think, I think this had, well, I was just going to say, I think this has a lot to do with the, uh, well, I mean, they all tie into each other to some degree, but this one certainly has something to do with, you know, getting bored, you know, and, and I think that a lot of people get bored because they don't have a their goal. They don't have, like you said, they can't quantify what they want to do. So, you know, if you're kind of aimlessly going towards nothing, then sure, it can be after a time hard to become, you know, to be motivated to go do something or to find something repetitive and because you don't really know where you're going. So you can't kind of see the direction you want to be. Right. Yeah, they definitely are connected. Yeah, I mean, specific, quantitative, realistic, you know, people's goals, they almost need coaching just to help them delineate some of these things. Like you said, Julia, I'll make it as quantitative as possible because some of the weakest things I've heard bodybuilders say is, I want big guns. Well, what do you mean? That's like saying, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or I want to get ripped for the summer. Well, do you mean a percent body fat? Are we right. put some numbers on something for God's sake because that's how you figure out if it's realistic or not. You know, people have these unrealistic goals. Where they want to put two inches on their arms, and unfortunately, the magazines just feed this. And, you know, Rob, having worked at one for so long, you know, any of us, but, you know, slap two inches on your guns in six weeks and just, just bullshit. You know what I mean? That's like saying I'm going to put on, oh, yeah, I think I'll put 60 pounds, 80 pounds on my bench press this summer. Well, good luck with that, unless you're a beginner. Right. You know? So, yeah, if you don't quantify it, how do you even figure out what's realistic? I don't know. Right. Yep. Okay. Um, what else? Uh, the next one we had was lack of proper programming. So, um, and I put even if you do have a goal, because some people do have a goal. Maybe they do know specifically what body fat percentage they want to get to or what strength goal they have. Um, they either don't uh, have the knowledge for how to get there or they, they don't have uh, training partners or coaches or, or know of the resources to get there. And um, so it, it, it can be frustrating because again, they have a goal, but they don't know how to, they don't know what to do. And uh, I think that ends up becoming very unmotivating for them. And so they either give up or wing it or, you know, they just sort of, you know, floozy around in the weight room and until, you know, hope, hoping something magic happens, but lack of proper programming. Okay. Yeah, that sort of goes along with what we were saying with realistic goals, but you're right. It's more than that, isn't it? Programming is really a multifaceted thing. I mean, if somebody gets stuck, uh, Phil was talking about that a couple of weeks ago. We were talking about progressive overload and, you know, just the nature of this principle and, uh, yeah, I can imagine if you get really stuck with that, if, if your only idea on programming is to add more weight on the bar and do that incrementally, eventually that you're going to run into a brick wall at times, you know, whereas there's other ways to apply overload, whether it's less rest between sets or maybe it's a different movement, similar but different movement or, you know what I mean, there's so many different things, uh, more sets in the workout, you know, uh, maybe some kind of speed work. Uh, right. So, yeah, that, or like you were talking about earlier, you're going to use chains or something. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah. Rob, how do you keep it, um, your programming fresh? Truthfully, I don't really ever think in terms of that. I just 
keep doing what I've always done. And I don't really... You see, this topic for me is kind of... I'm very limited at what I can add to this because motivation has never really been a problem for me. Um, that's interesting. And, you know, it, only, it hasn't been for me either, but I think there's a lot of people out there who, who struggle. But, yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. And I'm not trying to suggest that makes me better or anything, but I'm just saying yeah. it's hard for me to kind of add a lot because it's never really been an issue for me, so it's never been really something I've had to kind of find ways to deal with. Right. Uh, the, I only thing that's, the only thing that's kind of hurt my motivation ever has been, you know, um, kind of just short-term stuff, like I'm just massively overtrained, you know, or just way too tired and I just can't move and I'm too sore and I just don't feel like moving because I'm too sore. Um, okay. That's about it. As far as changing things up in the gym or feeling the need to... You see, my whole thing is that, you know, of the things that I love to do in the gym, you know, the, the lifting and so forth, I mean, even like something like a squat, there's so many different ways you can squat. And there's so many different, you know, to use your term earlier, you know, different feats that you can go for if you just feel like, you know what, I'm just kind of sick of being on this kind of... You know, uh, low low rep, high percentage kind of road that I've been on for the last couple of months. I just feel like going in and you know, I kind of always use the, used to use the term getting the getting the let out. You know, it's like screw it, I don't mm-hmm. want to do high reps today. I'm just going to go and put three plates on and just bust out as many reps as I can. Or um, I don't know. It just always seems to be something you can do. So I, it's yeah, yeah. I, I do think there's partly a personality thing, and maybe both of you have met with a fair amount of success, and that's going to keep you motivated, too. The people, I think, if they have – they just don't have one iota of an idea about how to progress or how to overload themselves or what kind of program to get on. I can see people becoming uh, a little depressed almost or discouraged. Maybe that's not the same thing as boredom, you know, but I think it, it sort of ties in there. One thing I think that helps people um, that's interesting is you kind of get those people who say that they, you know, they really love training, they really love working out, and that's what they do. They just work out. What I've found is that when we can get somebody to train for something or compete in something, that makes all the difference in the world. Um, Because now all of a sudden they have a clear goal, they have something to train for. If you're training for a powerlifting meet in 10 weeks, you're not going to... You know, you're not going to miss workouts. You're excited about the final product. So all of those factors we just talked about tend to sort of, you know, be relieved um, when you give them something to compete for. Um, you know, the other factor, well, the other piece that we that I mentioned on Facebook was stalled progress, and I think we covered that. But reading through these comments, a lot of people mostly said, and I think Rob touched on it, which was more of like a short-term thing, um, just they become really unmotivated when the stresses uh stresses in life tend to hit them they're super busy with kids and work and and all the other things and uh and that's when training seems to take a back seat um so stress seems to be the other key factor in becoming unmotivated yeah i've seen case studies on overtraining where when people put themselves in hugely stressful positions uh, maybe it's not their fault, but, you know, new job, new location, they move somewhere new, you know, these sorts of things. 
is it actually lowers your overtraining threshold. You know, a training load that you would have handled before and taken in stride now actually starts to burn you out faster, you know, because you've got emotional stress on top or like finances. You know, there's lots of things that come into this. I've seen two approaches to this. One would be use the training to deal with the stress. Uh, When I got up to Minnesota, that's actually what I did. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to compete, you know, and that was the last time that I did. Uh, And somebody might say, well, that's crazy. You started a new job, new house, everything, and you're going to compete. And that's how I got through it, frankly. Uh, Because like Rob often says, you know, sometimes regardless of what gym you're in, and I was lucky to find a great mom pod gym up there, boardwalk, but when you're standing there with a barbell in your hands, that's home. You know, that sounds a little bit cheesy maybe, but it's true. It's a familiar yeah. to that where you are, your your home. And so for me, it, it was a comfort thing, but I also know what you're saying, Julia. There are definitely people who, and I've been in situations like this as well, where you're working a 60-hour week. It's really hard to go, you know, to get super motivated at the end of a 12-hour workday when you know you got to get up at 5 o'clock the next morning and this and that project and all these things are due, you know. Right. It's, it's rough. It can be rough. Yeah. And, you know, there's there's elements to this, of course, that I also can't relate to, the whole idea that, you know, both you people are married with, with kids and I don't have either. So, you know, my time is strictly my own. So, like you're saying, re- relating, Lonnie, the whole concept of, you know, you, you work a long day or whatever and, <clears throat> you know, then you have to get up early the next day. Um, you know, so there's only a certain amount of di- hours of the day that you can do things and you you know, you, you'll have an obligation as a husband or a wife and a mother or a father, you know, to, you know, and you have to, meals have to somewhat coincide with, you know, the demands of the group and so forth. So those are aspects, of, uh, again, that I'm not used to having to deal with. So it can, um, I, oh. I can see how that would be more of a challenge for sure. Yeah, but you can, supportive family can actually be helpful. Yeah, it's, I, it's, it's, it is tough. I, and I can attest to that. I'm, I tell my husband, I'm like, I'm eating my meal now. You guys are going to have to wait, you know, especially when training for a show. Um, But you're right. I think you hit the nail on the head, Lonnie, is that, you know, having a supportive family. I've seen, um, you know, some families, husbands and wives, where one trains for something and the other doesn't um, or at least isn't supportive. And uh, and it's very difficult. Um, But, you know, I I know a lot of moms and, and dads who get up early before the kids are awake, uh, you know, they get up and train from, you know, 6 to 7 in the morning before getting the kids ready for school. Um, personally, myself, and I know a lot of other people do this, you know, you take a Sunday afternoon and you cook a lot of food. So you have leftovers for the entire week. There's a lot of stuff, and I'm not saying that, you know, people make excuses. I mean, there's certainly life stresses and busyness that does make, you know, make it hard. But there are ways to... Uh, to combat that, you know, getting up early is no fun or, you know, going to the gym at 8 o'clock at night, you know, you might not want to do it, but those people who are really dedicated find a way. I was going to say, absolutely, and I've always said that, and, you know, anybody who's, you know, genuinely has, you know, a, a passion for something will find the time and find the means to make sure that they can, you know, pursue that no matter what your, you know, situation in life is, so... There's, there's no question, and anything beyond that is just excuses, really. Um. Okay, yeah, I was just just going to make the quick point that um, know what you're doing might facilitate this whole idea of 
doing a competition in the midst of life stress. You know what I mean? If you didn't have several years experience and you didn't know what to expect a little, I imagine it might be folly to try to take on some kind of big um, contest prep right. when you're in the middle of all these other things. A move, you know, a new boyfriend or girlfriend, financial exams, whatever it might be. So I was able to do that because I was comfortable doing that. I had been there before, you know, so maybe just a caveat there. Mm-hmm. It, um, was that your, does that round out your list? That, you know what, that pretty much does. Um, like I said, I was just, you know, as I, you know, glance over the, you know, over the comments, um, stress was a huge one. Um, obviously, injury is the other one as well. You know, when you get hurt or you're fighting something off, um, you know, a lot of people, it's difficult to try to, it's easier just to back away from it than it is to try to fix it or, you know, find a way to still do it. You know, my husband was dealing with knee issues a couple of years ago and I finally looked at him and I said, then figure something out, figure something out, go to the ortho, figure out what you got to do. And he went and he did it. So, um, it can be very unmotivating because every day you go to the gym and it's bothering you and you can't seem to get past it and all the exercises affect it. Um, and, uh, so injury was another big one that seemed to, you know, make people kind of just want to get out of the gym. You know, and there's that spousal support kind of mixed in with that too. You helped him kind of shake that off. It sounds like, uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> I always tell people, you know, we had, to, we had to have a little come to Jesus talk and, um, you know, he's had to do that for me, you know, a few times as well. And, uh, you know, we're lucky to have, you know, a support system like we do have. Um, but, I think that's what a good support system, whether it's a husband, a wife, a training partner, a, uh, a friend, whoever, to say, hey, you need to pull your head out and, you know, if you want to get past this injury, let's figure something out. Let's see a specialist. Let's, you know, see a nutritionist. Let's see whoever it is we need to see, um, you know, and, and, and try to get it taken care of. Yeah, that's a good point. I actually once wrote an article that was an algorithm of, you know, if your answer is yes, maybe go here. If it's no, go here. And one of the things that we were talking about that's related to this uh, before we hit record, everybody, was sometimes there are physical. Again, you don't want to make these an excuse. And this is where maybe having a coach or a training partner or a spouse to kick you in the ass, you know, is a good thing. Um, but sometimes there might be something that is nutritional or hormonal or something that is just making you feel drained. I mean, I've spoken to enough people that were hypothyroid that they could barely get moving at all, you know, and then once they were, they had that corrected. So what they needed to do is actually go to a physician, you know, and get, say, here are my symptoms, help, you know, but, um, I also, you know, it's kind of late in the show to be bringing this up, but I just got a kind of a, a thought in my mind of something else that might, you know, um, push me off my motivation. <laughs> Sorry. But the whole concept of emotions, you know, and the, the need to be able to detach yourself from, you know, um, destructive emotions as far destructive or um, detrimental as far as your training goes, um, to be able to, no matter where you are in the emotional spectrum at any given time, if you have a session to do, um, to actually, it's almost like another muscle to train, you know, to be able right. to train that specific muscle to be able to cut off that emotion that's detrimental to it or use it in some sort of way um, 
but certainly I think we all know what I'm talking about. Certainly you can be in an emotional state where, you know, going to the gym is the furthest thing from your mind. Yeah, I imagine there are times with, I mean, depression, I can see being linked quite a bit to fatigue. And, you know, I'm not a counselor and to ask my wife about this kind of stuff, but I know what you're saying, too. Or if you, But I can also see if you're really pissed off at somebody at work, maybe, maybe that does fuel your squats a little bit, you know, so. I get it. You know, and another thing, too, when we're talking about nutritionally uh, or hormonally, as a nutritionist, this is one of the things that I think about, too, but uh, if people are so fatigued, they're just having a hell of a time lighting the fire to get in the gym. Um, For a lot of women, and it's much more common with women, is low iron. You do not have to be anemic to be fatigued and tired from low iron status. Uh, Sometimes it's the too much or too few carbs in your diet. Or for me at work, it's mistiming caffeine. And we've talked about this before, how we try to basically keep, you know, the coffee for right. the ritual. And that kind of mixes in with all the emotions, too. So a lot of yeah. people, they're, they're shocked that I'm drinking half-calf or decaf. And I'm like, well, I, I'm saving the, you know, the high-test fuel for an hour before go time, you know. Because yeah. if, if you time it, then you're crashing off an energy drink or, or coffee and then, you know, you're trying to go lift after work, and, man, there's just nothing left because you're just crashed. Yeah, I mean, you, you know, Lonnie, that I'm kind of very strict on my coffee and caffeine intake, and certainly on days where I'm going to train, um, if I normally would have a cup of coffee or because I'm getting up at, like, 4.30 or 5 in the morning or whatever it is, I'll specifically not have the coffee because I don't have to train that night, you know, so because I like to use coffee for a specific reason. Um, so yeah, you have to, you have to make sure that you're not, uh, pushing yourself. And that's another thing that I always, you know, people drink coffee all the time and they use it for this and that. But I've always been of the opinion that if you're in heavy training, if you're not using it to train, you shouldn't be drinking it for any other reason, but to train, because like you say, you're pushing the engine at a time when you're trying to recuperate and kind of get back what you've given already in the gym. So to put, you know, to drive the machine with heavy fuel during that period, to me, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So, if your body right. wants to kind of lay low because it's either just tired or fatigued or you know recuperating the nutrition that it's expended, you know that's the time to allow it to be that way. You know, so you don't always have to have it ramped up, kind of thing. What I was going to say was, it depends partly on your job, though. I mean, when you have to get in front of big groups, you have to be focused. I'm saying like, if I'm going to get in front of a hundred kids. I better have my act together. I and I actually I'll drink half calf in the morning, you know. But I try not to at least overdo it with the uh, Odin's blend super caffeinated Java, you know, because I know it's going to ruin me for later, and I can't ruin my my workout later. When I was in my twenties, I didn't feel that so much, but I feel that a lot more now. Uh, so and that's that's why I bring up stuff like nutrition and age and and hormones and that sort of thing, because all these things they set a, a physical stage. Uh, that might need to be addressed uh, just as much as programming or certain other things. I don't know. Okay. Any final thoughts, Julia? Uh, not that I can think of. I think we covered quite a bit. Yeah, I, that was a lot to draw just from a couple of Facebook comments, but it, it looked like it was a fun topic. Um, I don't know. And maybe it's a personality thing. Maybe some people deal with loss of motivation a lot more than other people. Maybe some people are just so addicted to challenging themselves, you know, that test 
of themselves in the gym that they don't really need much external motivation. They're just so intrinsically motivated. That's a good point because there were a couple people who said, I never find myself unmotivated to train. Um, So maybe some of it is a personality thing too. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. We're going to wrap it up. All right. Thanks, guys. Cool. Hey, sports nutrition fans, join us in beautiful Clearwater Beach, Florida, June 20 and 21 for the 11th annual ISSN Conference and Expo. You'll learn the latest, greatest sports nutrition from the best minds in the business. Some of our speakers include Juan Carlos Santana, Dr. Mark Tarnopolsky, Gina Lombardi, and many, many more. You'll learn about intermittent fasting, how to exercise to offset poor eating, and also nutritional strategies for maintaining or gaining muscle mass. But the best part is you'll get to rub elbows with the best scientists in the business. The ISSN, why would you go anywhere else? Go to www.theissn.org for more information. That's www.theissn.org for more info. See you there. Hey, this is Rob Fortress Fortney, and I'm here to tell you about some of the cool new stuff us guys at Iron Radio are bringing your way. Thanks to our loyal supporting members, we have enough cash flow to start migrating to Lipson, arguably the premier podcast host, and one that serves up some very high-end shows and tools. The change will start slowly with a little backup page that can be found right now on the Lipson website. This means our occasional server errors cannot keep the show out of your hands. But as we move more and more content over to the new server, it's going to allow us to do a couple of brand new things. First, we're planning an Iron Radio app for iPhone and Android. Believe it. If you're not sure what RSS feeds are or how to describe in iTunes, apps are a very simple way to get our content, either by downloading it or even streaming it through the app on a phone or tablet. Even better, you'll occasionally see a little E on an app link that means there's extra content you can access for that show. For example, we can add extended audio to a show, or even pics like wallpapers or science graphs that support what we're saying. The iPhone app even has a search feature. Want the show with Eddie Cohn right now? You'll be able to grab it quickly. Second, you'll see an improved media player on www.ironradio.org. You can download or listen easily right from the home page with no other windows or pop-ups necessary. Third, and maybe best, we'll be adding all new bonus content. Behind the scenes, special interviews, audio articles delivered from co-host personal libraries, on-site coverage, editorials, rants, bloopers, and more. The growth of the show and the new functionality does come with some cost. Starting in June, episodes older than a year... 50 shows will become premium content. There are several reasons for this. For one, serving audio to our growing listenership through a big boy system like Lipson costs a bit more. Second, our RSS feed service called FeedBurner has a limit, so this will keep us from having to drop early episodes one at a time as new ones come out. 
In fact, here's a tip. If you want all the old episodes at zero cost, download them before June 2014. We're telling you now because that's how we roll. So how does premium content work? You pick up an inexpensive subscription at my.libsyn.com, which gets you every Iron Radio episode plus new bonus content that no one else can hear. These subscriptions are very cheap, about 2 to $8, and can be gotten monthly, yearly, etc. Quit when you want. Further, if you're a current supporting member through PayPal, we appreciate your ongoing support. Free new content each week is possible because of your dedication. You help thousands of young lifters, or anyone, get news, education, and entertainment that they otherwise might not get. Simply email me through the ironradio.org homepage, and our web guru Lonnie will buy you a year's membership on my Lipson as an iron brother or sister. Finally, let me reiterate, as we grow, we want to keep new episodes free forever while providing better services and content for the whole Iron Army. Thanks 50 times for your ongoing support. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org store. Uh, We also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.